With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening and welcome to this episode of the Black Tuesday Podcast. Before we get rolling with a few things, I need to... Do a little housekeeping. Now, for, I guess, the first 90, maybe 100 or so of the episodes, I had a co-host. Legal Breeze is my guy. He is family. But we decided to change his platform and do so much more. And like I said, the man is family. And I've been kind of kind of going solo for a while here. Um, it's been quite the experience going solo as far as not having a co-host. Well, after a while, it seems like, you know, like having a guest, come back a couple times. And at, after a while, it's not becoming a guest. You know, you see that they built a addition onto the house that is the Black Tuesday podcast. Um, they received mail at the Black Tuesday podcast house. Uh, hypothetical as it might be, but, uh, yeah, um, my co-host. She's the managing editor of Toasted Cheese, Stephanie Lenz. Evening, Steph, how are you? I'm well. I'm the she shed of Black Tuesday. See, look at you. See? <laughs> I mean, we can at least do like a, a pergola and a veranda. I'll, I'll do that. You know, just, you know, we're a classy joint here. You, you drink your scotch out of a sippy cup. I drink my tequila with a straw. So it's just how we roll. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... As we spin forward into this, you know, complicated of nonsense that we always seem to cover, <sighs> the fuckery. Um, we need to hit on the Kraken, otherwise known as Cindy Powell, which apparently, according to her uh, great sanctions, you know, her screaming match, it looked like somebody in her crew is smoking the Kraken. Deconstruct this for us. Well, I was lucky enough that I got to watch some of that shit show yesterday. And I'm using the term that the Above the Law blog uses. Um, they call it a screaming shit show. Um, and they're a really great Twitter account to follow if anybody likes legal stuff and um, with a little bit of um, humor to it. Um, yeah, they watched it so we didn't have to. And it was like six hours of nonsense um they said you know it was like the judge was hurting cats and one of the the lawyers kept crying and lynn wood every time i would go to watch his chair was empty and it was just like and and the judge would ask him well do you have this piece of evidence and they would all be scrambling like well i don't have it do you have it no i don't have it and this is all done via zoom and the judge is like i've never had to sit in front of a case where defense doesn't have the evidence that they say that they had. You you guys need more time, and you know, then it would start all over again. And it was just it's on YouTube if anybody wants to watch it. There at least that's how it was being broadcast. So I assume that the archive is there. But that's kind of what it was, and it it didn't make any sense. And 
they, if anybody had a point to make, they all kind of fell over each other trying to make it because like, ah, I know the answer to that one and jumping in and, and acting insane. But basically the judge was like, look, I, I just can't do this. You, you know, um, at, one, at one point a guy yelled that he's not a potted plant and somebody else said, you know, you're disrespecting the court. And the judge was just like, yeah, I, I'm kind of like a thousand percent done with you people. And that was just all in six hours on one day. So <laughs> this is the glory. This is the best that the far right has to present in court. There's someone yelling that he's not a plant and another lawyer crying. I want to see the faces of those people who vociferously <laughs> defended these asshats. The, oh, they're going to stop to steal. They're going to do this. No, fuckhead. They're not going to do anything but sit there and get embarrassed and look like the idiots that they are. I am constantly amazed by the Marianas Trench depth of stupidity that either the American public or some in the American legal system seem to have. These people went to college to for to become lawyers. That's not that's not really easy. There's a whole bunch of testing, and yet mm-hmm. they can't find their ass with both hands. I I fail to grasp the level of what the fuck is going on here with these people, and this is really the people who Trump thought was were the pet, the best and brightest. They, they are neither. I can tell you from what I saw yesterday that it's like, oh, okay, now I see why Rudy Giuliani leads this bunch. <laughs> it's astounding to watch the yeah. idiocy at play and to watch these minuscule-minded barristers fail repeatedly. And it astounds me. Now, what also astounds me, but not in a lighthearted, ha-ha way, but uh kind of uh, looking sideways at people who love this stuff, but when you talk about serial killer films, you are a cinephile. Mm -hmm. But why does it seem like every other week there's a new documentary on serial killers, and especially Ted Bundy, where his story has been told 15 million times? Mm -hmm. What are the attractions? I'm also a true crime, um, I don't know how to say it, not enthusiast, not fan, but like it interests me because I like the humanity of things. And sometimes you can come across a story like a woman, um, I wish I could remember her name, but uh, she was attacked by a guy who ended up cutting off her arms and she survived and she walked down the highway and she testified and she put him in jail for the rest of his life. You know, you get stories like that when you follow true, true crime, you know, really triumphant stories about the human spirit. I would rather see 10 movies about her and, and, and the advocacy she's done since, um, then another Ted Bundy movie. Um, you know, we've, we've seen it. There's, there have been documentaries. Um, you know, and, I mean, I get the Ted Bundy interest because um, he just, he seems, I, I don't, it's, it's not that he, he's good looking. He's not. Um, and I don't get why people fan all over him or any other um, criminal. But he's, he seems different. He seems like the guy that you would sit next to, like Anne Rule in her Stranger Beside Me book. Um, he seems like a regular person, and then you look, I mean, you know the stuff that he did, and it's just unfathomable. We still don't know all the stuff that he did. We still don't know all of his victims' names. And um, also, I remember when I was little, like um, probably seven years old, and he was on the rampage in North Florida. Um, After he committed the murders that he committed at Florida State, um, he moved eastward, and he killed a little girl, I think, named Kimberly in Live Oak, Florida. And that was about the time that parents started waiting with us at the bus stops and would be there when we got off the buses and things like that. And just things kind of changed and shifted, and there was a real-life boogeyman on the loose and I know that that's the term that they use in this new film but that's kind of what we've been calling him you know for for 40 almost 50 years 
Um, so, I mean, I kind of get why people particularly are interested in him, but, you know, there are a lot more people and a lot more facets of true crime that movies could be made about that are interesting. Um, but, you know, Ted Bundy sells advertising space. Ted Bundy puts asses in the seat. So I guess that's where we are. I watched the one with um, Zac Efron, and I thought it wasn't bad. It actually talked a lot about stuff that people don't know, like him escaping from a courthouse once and stuff like that. So that was a little bit different, but um, I haven't watched the one documentary where like they have just tapes of him talking. I'm like, I don't need to hear him talk. I know everything I need to know about him. It's just, to me, it's like, I I mean, if there, this was for profilers and things like that, I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, like you need to kind of make sure that you can catch these folks early before they do damage. But for me, mm-hmm. seeing enough, like, it, it, just, it just seems like it's at times, especially depending on who you talk to, it's like glorifying. You have people like, oh, you know, he, you know, he was this and he was that. I don't give a fuck what he is. He was a murderer. Yeah. You know, rotten hell, Ted. Mm-hmm. And it's not just him, but other serial killers, because you see folks who watch these movies and then start writing these folks in prison. Like, Charles Manson had more people in, like, fans. It just, it's strange to me. And I just, mm-hmm. you know, and part of me, the petty side, wants to look at some of these prison abolitionist douchebags and say, ask themselves, uh, so, abolish these prisons, huh? Who's going to watch these fuckers? Yeah, it's... I, I, I say that as someone who... I, I love, like, a good true crime story or a true macabre story, like, you know, maybe like a D.B. Cooper kind of thing or something yes. like that. There are lots of, of true crime stories that don't involve anything remotely close to what Ted Bundy did to people. Um you know, if you want to know what Ted Bundy did to people and you don't want to, you know, watch or learn what he actually did, part of Buffalo Bill is based on Ted Bundy in Silence of the Lambs where he would pretend to be incapacitated and get people to help him with groceries or furniture or something in his vehicle and he would push them in the vehicle and off he'd go. You know, it's kind of a cautionary tale in a way. I guess it kind of goes back to, you know, our ancestors telling, uh, you know, gruesome fairy tales for, you know, so stay out of the woods, you know, being your moral lesson on that. So, you know, we learn, you know, to quote another podcast, fuck politeness and stay out of the woods. So, Pretty much. Yeah. Now, if we take a quick break, we're going to sit there and talk about something less nefarious, but probably equally as smelly. You are listening to the Black Tuesday podcast on the FPC radio network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. 
Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are back from the Black Today podcast. Terrence Biggs, co-host of Atlanta Steph. Cornell West. We need to talk about him. Now, for those who don't know, Cornell West was a Harvard professor at the School of Divinity, which as one of my friends, Heather, on Twitter said, it sounds like a sister college of Hogwarts. But Dr. West is huh, the Wolf White's best friend. Unfortunately, he needs to be a dentist's best friend, but we'll get into his failed orthodontia. But with him, this is a man that carries a grudge against Barack Obama because over inauguration tickets. He still has hate for President Obama over the fact that somebody in his circle didn't warrant comped inauguration tickets. We're petty. We are. We're very petty. I don't think I would hold that grudge, especially the fact that I'm a Harvard professor, and yet that colored his viewpoint and made his stirring defense on just everything Bernie Sanders and the way moron left and the the horseshoe effect, basically. What's your take on Cornell West, and how many jokes are we about to tell? <laughs> like I say, I, when I first heard of Cornell West, I really dug what he had to say. And I ended up buying one of his books. I forget which one it is. And I don't think I ever actually got around to opening it. But I used to, like, he would be on real time and stuff like that. And it was kind of different. It was nice to hear his voice and, you know, kind of just a different point of view. And then, you know, like you said, I noticed that things kind of changed. And it was right around early 2009. And I was like, well, why is he so mad at the Democrats? The Democrats aren't the ones who were exacerbating the problems that he's here to talk about. And he just ended up kind of dumping on both sides. And it, and, and then he started dump more and more on the left than on the right. And it's like, your problem is with the policies of the right, but you're blaming it on the left. And I don't understand where this is coming from. And then you say that, and I'm like, you know, I, I might be that petty at some point in my life right i just like burn it down the whole thing i'm just mad at everybody kind of thing but um yeah this this um resignation letter is it's a hot mess i can't believe that i I hope that it wasn't turned in like this it's one big paragraph there are two exclamation points ending the first two sentences when i'm editing when i'm picking things for the magazine if you've got an exclamation point I'll give you a pass, but when I hit the second exclamation point, I'm done. Unless it's really important somebody's screaming. At the beginning of a resignation letter, this summer is a scorcher, you don't have to put that in a resignation letter. All you have to put is, I resign from my position. Cordially yours, whatever. (laughs) This this is just a diatribe. I I see about Palestinians, and I see about, you know, different people and... Someone in the reply said it comes across like he's saying, well, if the money were better, I'd stay. And it's like, you know, I kind of can't disagree with what I see here, that that, it kind of does come across like no possible summer salary alongside the lowest increase possible each year. It sounds like it's about the the cash. And, you know, Dr. West, let's let's be honest about what it is. Just be like, if you don't want to pay me, I don't want to work for you. If that's what it said, I'd be like, right on. It comes across like a little manifesto-ish. Mm-hmm. Like it was written on a typewriter somewhere in Bucks County. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, and it just, for me, when I watch, as a black dude, when I watch Cornel West and I watch 
like the way I can't I can't throw Sean King in because he's not played. I'm not going to have this talk with folks. I've <laughs> I've spent too much of my life arguing people about Sean King's blackness. It's like arguing the blackness of Twinkie filling. But it when I look at the woke way left black folks when they're you know at Harvard at Princeton. Why can't y'all be at HBCU? They need they, they need professors. They need good professors. Mm-hmm. And yet, because you know that the primarily white institutions are funded better, mm-hmm. the state be whatever, and it's like it's their activism for a fee. It's fee-based activism, and it's Cornell was. I know I crack on his jokes. I crack on his ha- having death breath, but. What annoys me is the fact that white folks will flock to him like he's the voice of black America. Like he's mm-hmm. my voice. And I have said this a million times and you have listened to it probably 900,000 of those times. It is, there's no more Malcolm. There's no Martin. It's just, they gave a blueprint or a plan. It's up to the rest of us to kind of see it through and not be stupid. And, that's my issue with Al Sharpton. Honestly, that's my issue with Benjamin Crump. Mm-hmm. You know, well, it's like there's like a Hall of Injustice League where they get the signal, black person in distress or dead, and you know, like Sean King's already on the GoFundMe. Benjamin Crump is going to be there in that town. Al Sharpton is going to sit there and have a rally. Mm-hmm. Cornel West is going to talk shit, and it's just. It's jacked up when you when it's your own people. It's jacked up when someone looks like you is doing the the community service wrong. I liken it to a scene in in New Jack City where this is at the end and Nino Brown the wall they're closing in and there's a kid who was telling the cops that uh he beat a kid over five dollars and iced tea in the last scene, Aspen says that she would hurt your own people for money. And it's just one of those things that has always stuck with me. Mm-hmm. It may not be drugs, but it is still poisoning the minds of our people. And it's, it's a never-ending cycle because if they can rope in one black person and five white guilt-ridden white folks, then it's like a pyramid scheme. You just keep roping them in, keep making that money. And when I was an example, he's a cog in that machine that has hurt the community. And all jokes aside, he's the worst. And one of the worst people as far as doing harm to those who he looks just like. Now, someone who doesn't look like us is Jenna Ellis. She of the being, you know, bold Twitter lawyer. She's now leaving the Republican Party. When did the Republican Party become Heathrow? or Hartsfield, <laughs> or LaGuardia, or even one of my favorite airports, uh, PIA. <laughs> you know, yeah, I love that. That's one of my favorite memes is you don't have to announce your departure. And the thing is, she's like, well, the Republican Party needs to get back to conservative values. It's like, oh, they're fine with conservative values. It's your values that suck. You know, you guys were fine with this. You were fine with putting Donald Trump in. You were fine with, you know, all the stuff leading up to it. You were fine with Reagan. Everybody's on board with this. And then when it starts to come back and bite you in the ass a little bit, cost you some seats, then all of a sudden it's, well, this isn't my party anymore. It's exactly your party. You all built it from the ground up. So you don't get to come back and criticize it and say that it's not yours and it's not the way you want it. Um you know, that's like a kid trying to send back their Thanksgiving plate. I don't want it this way. Well, that's what it is. So, you know, I, I guess it's, I mean, I get it. I mean, I unregistered from being with a party, but, you know, I, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't, you know, make a big deal about it or go on Twitter or anything like that. I was just like, yeah, I think when I get my driver's license in this new state, I'm just going to register as an independent and just keep voting the way I vote. But, yeah, it's just... You don't have to make a, a huge deal about it. And then she starts calling people out. And it's like, you know, you think you're going to get their job, I bet. But, you know, 
she can't be surprised and she can't be you know she she can't be surprised that people are kind of holding up the mirror to her because see for me it's just like you said it's you're okay with Reagan you know being a homophobic bigot Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. racist Mm -hmm. you're okay with the term welfare queens you're okay with all of that but now this is the line they draw that's why when you know folks sit there and praise Nicole Wallace nah mm -mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You're okay with everything up until Donald Trump. That's a that's that's just to me. It's it's more of like he doesn't espouse your brand of hatred. You have a different type of hate, but he doesn't espouse your brand. And it's to me, it's just awkward and unseemly. Now we got to talk about the Texas Democrat. Exodus to avoid a quorum. Members of the Texas legislature decided to fight in Washington, and they were greeted by BP Harris, who gave a strong speech about everything about voting rights. Do you think more states will follow suit? I hope so, and I hope my state is one of them. Our Republican Party here in Pennsylvania is off the chart. We've got one guy. I can't remember his name right now. But he has just doubled down on the big light and then tripled down, and he will not let it go. And the more he talks, the more Republicans come to join him. And it's like, do you, you, why are you jumping on the sinking ship? And it's like, maybe they know something we don't know. But, you know, they're like, we're trying to get some legislation done here. Can you stop with the performative bullshit? And... You know, I, th- I think that the Democrats need to just be like, look, we're not going to engage in this discussion with you if you're not going to take this seriously. We're here to work, and you're here to dick around. So when you're ready to work, let us know, and we'll be back. And I, I think it's great that the Democrats not only did that, they not only stayed away, but they went to D.C. to come back and kind of be like, can you believe this? Do you look at this? you see what we're dealing with here? to you know to to members of congress and it's like i i thought that i didn't realize they were going to be doing with their time what they were doing so it was like yeah that's brilliant whoever came up with this idea that's someone i i need to see in leadership now i want to say well i'm in wisconsin i know that a few years ago the the wisconsin democrats tried something similar where they just went across the border to illinois and they had that falling out with Scott Walker. And it they kinda some of them folded and they just came across they came back too soon. Mm-hmm. And it was it was like a policy stuff. The folks in Texas actually took a plane of Washington. They tweeted out pictures of we're on the plane. So they're they intend on staying on D C until uh Abbott and the rest of these complete fools will actually come to somewhat of their senses now. I doubt it will. Now, we need to talk about this. Oh, Lord. The Capitol writer, the guy in Capitol said that he thought he was, quote, invading the fucking White House. He's on, they let him go to, like, home detention. Mm-hmm. When did the Capitol building look like anything but the White House? What gets me is he didn't know until he was in the building that it wasn't the White House, or he didn't even know until later. Like, maybe he thought the whole time he was in the White House and someone told him later. But, yeah, he he's a real winner. And it's like, this is exactly what the GOP wanted. They wanted to defund education, kind of take us all down as low as we can go, keep us ignorant, and just manipulate what they could for power. And that is exactly where we are is that someone who stormed the capitol didn't know it wasn't the white house i mean even visually they look completely different but did it look like someone's house or did it look like kind of like a courthouse might be or even you know like your post office did you see beds and sofas and stuff like that no so apparently you know he's earnest in this like he he tweeted and said this is me touching the fucking white house with his hand on the capitol wall you know, this, this is where we are. This is <laughs> the great army of Trump. This is Trump's battalion. 
That's again, it. Can, you know, they can't they can't find a building that's like synonymous with the U.S. fucking Capitol building. Did they never see Independence like, Day? Exactly. They couldn't spell Independence Day if you spotted them the I, the D, and every vowel in the goddamn title. It's just it's it's astounding. It's astounding. I mean, now on happy notes because we look happy. This today marks an anniversary for Live Aid. Now, for those who are a little younger and you know, except myself, not cooler, just younger. Um, Live Aid was an event. It was an all-day event. It was a concert put on in Wembley Stadium and in Philadelphia with, at the Vet, yes? Mm-hmm. I think. B- bunch of acts all day long, and it because the problem of famine in Ethiopia became a worldwide issue, and they had a monster lineup of bands. I mean, it just... It was one of those things that could it have been the greatest uh, ensemble of talent ever? Yeah, I think it was better than Woodstock. There, yeah. there was more variety. Um, they had people like, you know, if you can't travel and you're a U.K. band and you can't come to the U.S. for this concert, you just do it in the U.K. Or you're Phil Collins and you do both. But, yeah, it's, it, when you look at it, it's like there were, like the, the Beach Boys performed at this thing. Um, I didn't Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd or somebody kind of got back together in some manner and they Zeppelin. performed. Um, and then there's the Queen performance, which you know might be the best live rock. And, well, I'll take away the mic. Is the best live rock and roll performance I can think of. There it is. And it was perfectly timed. It was right at sunset. If you ever want to see what it is to have pure charisma, that's that performance. I think David Bowie went on after them. I don't know how anybody could have followed that. But there were still a lot of bands to go in the evening over there. It started at noon, and I have the list in front of me via Wikipedia. But it started at 12 noon. A couple of the early bands I didn't know. Um, Coldstream Guards, Status Quo. The, I knew the Style Council. The Boomtown Rats was Bob Geldof, who's like one of the founders of it. Adam Ant performed one song. <laughs> Ultravox, Band Ballet. Yeah. Elvis Costello performed one song, All You Need Is Love, The Beatles Remake. Wow. Well, I, I get why Ultravox is there, because Majira wasn't he one of the um, organizers of Live Aid? Yes. Yeah. Nick Kershaw had four songs. Nick Kershaw had four songs, and God damn it, Sade had three. Three! Nick Kershaw had four. Mm-hmm. Sting and Phil Collins. Oh, still to this day, America's favorite tattooist. Good Lord. I will listen to her sing an ingredient box on a Duncan Hine cake mix. I don't give a damn. Sing it all. Now, Sting and Phil Collins had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven songs. They had Roxanne, Driven to Tears, Against All Odds, Message in a Bottle in the Air Tonight, Long, Long Way to Go, and Every Breath You Take. That's a whole lot of dad rock right there. Mm-hmm. That's a concert in and of itself. That's, yeah. Howard Jones had one. Ryan Ferry had four. I can see that. Slave to Love is like his best song. Paul Young. Now, for those who don't know, Paul Young, Every Time You Grow Away, is one of the best 80s songs that very few people talk about. It is melodic. It just mm-hmm. it fits him. And the the sitar solo in the in the middle, Chef's Kiss. Just mm-hmm. after y'all do, y'all might, I mean, after y'all go listen to, to our podcast, please go find this song and on YouTube and listen to the song. You two only had two songs. Yeah, they weren't as big then. It was after Dyer the Red Tra- Rocks concert, but it was before the Joshua Tree. So. Dire Straits had two. Queen, they hit the first part of Bohemian Rhapsody, Hito Gaga, Hammer to Fall, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, We Will Rock You and We Are the Champion, which was like mm-hmm. Freddie Mercury is the best rock singer I have ever seen. Not just without equivocation. Just like, 
I went back today because I had a moment and I watched that performance and it gives you like goosebumps. And yes, even being black, I get goosebumps. I got and goosebumps thinking about it as you were talking about it. It's not it, good. You get that little, uh, that, that heart sink because you knew that probably with the next five or six years, he was no, he was not around anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was like his, not his, his curtain call, but it was his curtain call on the world stage, basically. Mm-hmm. But we came back with four. The Who, no terrorists, came back with four. Elton John had, I'm still standing, Benny the Jets, Rocket Man, Don't Go Breaking My Heart, which I still love, Don't Let the Sun Go Down, and Can I Get a Witness. Mm-hmm. Freddie Mercury came back on stage and had, Is This the World We Created with Brian May, Dr. Brian May. Paul McCartney had Let It Be, and Band-Aid had Do You Know It's Christmas. That's a lot. In America, Joan Baez had two songs. The Four Tops had had five. I, I forgot they even performed. Yeah, I remember I commandeered the TV for the whole day. I was an only child at home. My brothers were often married and everything. And um, my mother was actually like, oh, The Four Tops. Oh, I know them. I like them. So, yeah, I remembered that they played. Billy Ocean had two. Black Sabbath had three. They had, they had Iron Man. I remember that. That was like mid-'80s, like, Ozzy was on some shit. He was high. Woo, boy, he was high. Run DMC. Rick Springfield had three songs, and none of them was Jesse's Girl. That's a Shonda. Make it make sense. I I cannot. I try to help you when you say make it make sense. I try to make it make sense. No. How did Judas Priest get on this lineup? Like, this is supposed to be a, you know, a benefit for the, for the, the famine, not people who suck at music. Probably because they didn't have a lot of um, harder acts. That would be my guess. And, you know, I'm, I think they're not as hard as some people think, but you know, they, they're not bad. They're more melodic, and they could put on a good show. So I'm going to guess that that's what it was about. Also, they were right in the midst of the whole PMRC thing, and they were one of the targets of the PMRC, so they get eyes on them. So Brian Adams had four. The Beach Boys had five. California Girls Help Me Rhonda. Would it be nice? Mm-hmm. The Vibrations and Surfing. So they pretty much played the hits. Mm-hmm. George Thurgood and the, the Destroyers had three. I didn't know they had three songs, and none of them was bad to the bone. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. The Pretenders had five songs. Am I the only person that doesn't like the Pretenders? Not on this call. There you go. I just Chrissy Hines' voice and just the the change rattling guitar sound—it just doesn't mm-hmm. do it for me. Santana, yeah, I, had, go ahead. I, I I like her look and her presentation. I think she's really cool. But um, their music just doesn't really do anything for me. <clears throat> Ashford and Simpson, you have to go into the office. With Teddy Pendergrass, they had two. Teddy Pendergrass and Ashford. They, so, yeah, that would be after his, um, he was Excellent. paralyzed, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did he sing with Ashford and Simpson? He did. He sang Reach Out and Touch Somebody's Hand. Teddy Pendergrass is probably responsible for more black children being born <laughs> in the mid to late night set than any other artist. He and Marvie are up there. Like, every black kid that you knew of my age, his his or her, their mama or daddy had a Teddy Pendergrass song. And you know when you, you hear all the light go off, yeah, you're, you're about to ask some siblings within a year. Mm-hmm. And he's from uh, Philly too, right? He is from Philly. Madonna... In, she had Holiday into the Groove and Love Makes a Rogue Rock. Not even uh, Like a Virgin, which would have been massive from that crowd. Mm-hmm. Well, that was right around the time that she had nude pictures published. Mm-hmm. And she said, I don't care how hot it is, I'm not taking any of this off. <laughs> Tom yeah, I'm Petty. paraphrasing, but... <laughs> yes. Tom Petty had four, and Kenny Loggins had Footloose. I didn't think Footloose was still a thing back then. It wasn't. Like, they kind of looped him in. Yeah. The Cars had four. They had, you might think, Drive, Just What I Need in a Heartbeat City. I like the Cars. I just do. They, they were fun, mm-hmm. you know, and, like, we always talk about Rick uh, Ocasek. Huh. Out kicking his coverage. 
Neil Young had five songs. I'm not a Neil Young fan. I'm sorry. I just like his voice. Like I would much rather do anything else. So listen to song. would have been good. Mm-hmm. The Power Station. Now listen, like mm-hmm. one of my favorite 80s bands because you had the smoothness of Robert Palmer. Like Robert Palmer was like neighbor down the street who never got married, but you always see him with a different woman going out of his house. <laughs> you said it's the lounge. The lounge. It, Robert Palmer had a smoking jacket, but didn't smoke. He had the lower furniture. <laughs> he did, and there was a there were levels inside his house. Yes, and you know he just wore an ascot to sleep. That's how smooth he was. <laughs> that is. Had, I had his solo album. It was really good. He had no exact. Yeah, he had no no wife, but a bunch of kids and a bunch of different towns. <laughs> he and was a Johnny. Cat. And a hairless cat. And drove an Aston Martin just because. <laughs> now, you had the Thompson twins who had Hold Me Down a Revolution with Madonna joined Steve Stevens from, I think that's Billy Idol's guitarist, mm-hmm. and Nile Rodgers for the Beatles remake. I remember that. That was, oh, oh, oh. That was bad. That was kind of. It wasn't great. It wasn't fantastic. Um, Eric Clapton, who I can just do it out. Yeah, three. Like, Eric Clapton to me is just, he's there. Yeah. Eric Clapton is a big old bag of, hmm, he's fine. You got Phil Collins against all odds again. Because he was in, he actually flew from London to Philly to actually close out the Philly show. Mm-hmm. Now, this goes on. Still, Clapton, Phil Collins, Zeppelin, they came up with three. Crosby, Crosby still Nash and Young. Ugh. One of our favorites. And actually, the title of our show tonight is Seven in the Ragged Wednesday. <laughs> Duran Duran had A View to a Kill, which is still the greatest James Bond theme song ever. I don't sure. everybody said we can fight over it. Union of the Snake, which I kind of remember. Saver Prayer was awesome. Saver <laughs> Prayer was awesome. And the Reflex. Party song. Was, if you ever listen to the Live Aid version of A View to a Kill, um, Simon LeBond says it's one of the worst things he ever had in his career was he hits this one bum note, you know, one of those long notes towards the end, and it's really high, and he didn't hit it. And he's like, I, I wish I could erase that from life and the Internet and the world, but he's like, it's there. And if that's going to be the most embarrassing thing, I guess it's not so bad. So, yeah, it's it's something to hear. They had Patty LaBelle had six songs. They gave her six. Who? Patty LaBelle. You know, I remember that. I remember that. No, you say that. Um, Hall and Oates had six, and I know I get so much shit because I'm not a Hall and Oates fan. I can't understand. Well, I think it's because they were hometown. Yeah, that's fair. Because they, they're also with. Eddie Kendricks and David Ruffin. I, that's fine because they, they did My Girl. They did do the way the way you do the things you do. Ain't too proud to bag and get rid. So they did a lot of Temptation stuff. Okay, Mick Jagger and Tina Turner. They had six between them. Mm-hmm. Only at the top, Just Another Night, Miss You, State of Shock. It's only rock and roll, but I like it. Ugh. Then they had Ronnie Wood, Keith Richards, and Bob Dylan do Ballad of House Brown. And the ship comes in, blown in the wind, and they finish with the. We are the world. Mm-hmm. What would it take to get that number of famous people together again? I do not know. I mean, it would take someone like Bob Geldof, who was a musician themselves. Um, like, you couldn't get a promoter to do it. I don't think people would do it. Um, people did come together. There was a concert after 9-11 live on TV. Um, the one where Kanye West says, oh, no, that that was a different one. Mm-hmm. That was the Katrina concert where he said George Bush doesn't care about black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my favorite Kanye thing that's ever happened because he's 100% true. Um, but, yeah, that happened. There was a Katrina concert and there was a 9-11 concert that was really good. Um, but, you know, they happened kind of in pieces remotely on TV. To actually have a live event concert, I 
don't know how they would pull off the logistics of that. I mean, we had trouble with the all-star game with people, you know, going to bring in um, guns and try to disrupt that. And so I, I don't know how safe people would feel going to something like that, especially in COVID times. It just, it seems like a lot to ask, but um, it would have to be some kind of worldwide something that's also a benefit. Because um, it didn't really work at the Live 8 concert that they did a few years, well, not a few years ago, over 10 years ago. Um, it, it, it wasn't the same, and it didn't quite capture that. So I don't know what it would take. I don't think we're going to see the like of this again unless something extraordinary happens. I mean, it, it would take all those egos that, you know, like, mm-hmm. I think it would be good. I think that... Music needs that, and it would be interesting to see how it would be pulled off. Because if it happened once, it happened before. And I'm sitting there trying. You know, I was reading an article about Bob Dylan a couple weeks ago. That man has had a life. He, his wife left him for Michael Hutchins. Yeah. And when Hutchins died in, you know, mm-hmm. in '97, Geldof adopted. Not only did he get custody of his own children with the, the ex, but he adopted Hutchins' daughter. Mm-hmm. And he's almost 70, and he's had, like, a long ride. I can't remember anything from the Boomtown Rats other than I Hate Mondays, but yeah, he his footprint is all over, like, the 80s as far as music. And he, he was a hell of a contributor, or oh, is, because he's not dead. But yeah. Live Aid to me was, I wish that there were so many other events that could have been better, but it just, like, could have been, not better, but could have been in that same Live Aid vein, but they couldn't pull it off because billing. I'm thinking people probably got mad about who was billed where and what was this, and I, I believe that it's definitely needed, and I'd be here for it, like, Music is one of those things that I wish were better. Like, I wish modern music was better. Like, the musicianship. Like, I don't want to hear auto-tune. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear, like, nonsense like this. And I just, I'm not going to be cranky old guy on the porch, but music has potential to be good again. And I'm hoping that one day that it re- makes a return and it weeds out your Megan Trainers or folks like that. But... We end on a happy note. National French Friday. Now, one of us, uh, sad to say, puts ketchup on French fries and is an unabashed ketchup follower. The Zarina of ketchup. The, you know, the lover of Heinz. That's behind ketchup. If it's Heinz, she'll probably actually step outside and probably fight you. I would. Just saying, like, you know, handing out fries and ass whoopings. Now, what is your favorite cut of fry? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, well, today I actually bought some French fries, and I bought crinkle cut fries because they do best in the air fryer with all that surface to them. They come out the crispiest, and they hold the ketchup best. But um, if somebody said to me, you know, you can have a plate of you know, your favorite kind of fries, I would have to go with a steak fry. That's my yes. favorite. Yes. Wait, we actually agreed on the wow, we we food. I love a good steak fry. With a burger? Oh, my God. That's what it I had just... for dinner. I had a burger and steak fries. Now, we're not going to agree on sauce because, I mean, <laughs> I mean, tzatziki sauce on a burger, on a fries works. It just is perfect. It's that perfect harmony of flavor, but yes, fries. The worst fry is that waffle cut. Yeah, I'd have to agree. They're never crispy. They look like they'd be good, and then they flop when you pick them up. They're too dense. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a bread, not bread, but it looks like bread. It's like a breading. So and, where, uh, where do you stand on, say, cheese fries or gravy fries? Now, there are people who will attempt to call gravy on top of fries poutine. Mm-hmm. I've been to Canada. I've been to Montreal. I've been, I've had great poutine in life. That ain't poutine. 
Like, there are places in this town, in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, that tried to pass off some sloppy-ass store-brought gravy on top of some tepid fries as poutine. I like a good chili fry. I do. I love a good chili fry. Especially if you have a hot dog near, ooh, that's good eating. What's your stance on chili versus gravy? When it comes to chili versus gravy, it's one of those things that as Stephanie joins us again, it's chili versus gravy is just it's a good fry. It's I mean you have to have the right fries for chili versus gravy. It has to be one of those things that the consistency of it, the how it ta- how it tastes, not just hot, but like five minutes after it, after you get the plate, because chances are when you get chili fries and gravy fries, there's going to be a lot of them. It's going to be a large serving of them. It's going to be big. And I'm not sure if there's that, you know, difference. But, Steph, to you, where do you stand on the whole chili fry versus gravy fry debate? I like I like them all. I gotta say, um, I like chili fries. I like loaded fries, gravy fries, cheese fries. You know, sometimes if I'm in a diner, I'll splurge and get the gravy fries. But I only really like them as sort of like a shoestring fry, where you can oh. control how much you do with the gravy. It balances better, I think. But you know, fries are fries are fries. They're gonna be pretty good no matter what. Except if they're like curly fries. I could take or leave curly fries, to be honest. They have to be crispy, which yeah. is there. And I like a spicy curly fry. Yes, there it is. A spicy curly fry. I do not put anything on a spicy fry. No, there's, there's, there's no need for it. It's like, it's perfect. It's one of those things that's perfect. Now, as, as we sit here, I'm thinking about, because I'm looking at my cleats, because I have I participated in all these softball tournament on Saturday, which is five games in eight hours, and, well, my feet are still, well, they're not as sore, but wore turf shoes, and they were comfortable, and I've had, I thought about how I would be dealing with cleats. What are the most uncomfortable shoes you have ever worn? Oh, God. Um, I can tell you, I know exactly what they are, Um, although I could definitely, like, make a list of these, but um, when my husband was still in medical school, um, I went to visit him right around the time of his graduation, I think. And there was supposed to be like a cocktail reception thing for the graduates with the governor at um, City Hall in Philadelphia. The governor was Ed Rendell. And so I get dressed up to go to this cocktail thing. I have on a pair of black, strappy, about a one-inch heel thing from Payless because this was the only shoes I ever had was Payless shoes. And he decided we were walking. And we walked from, like, Walnut Street to um, City Hall and then had to stand around at the cocktail thing. And those were the most uncomfortable shoes ever. When we were leaving, I said, we're getting a cab. And I took the shoes off the second we got back into his place. And I was like, I've got to have some sneakers or something. This is terrible. Those are the most uncomfortable shoes. And I never wore them again. I think I might have even thrown them out in spite. So... Yeah, those are probably the worst shoes I ever wore, and it's mostly because I had to walk, like, nine blocks in them. I can't stand dress shoes. I'm more of a no. – my dress shoes have to be, like, soft leather. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a fan of the fact that a lot of, you know, folks, you can wear, like, dress sneakers now. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know, like, I'm a fan of that now. Like, where was this when I had to wear all these hard-bottom, like, dress shoes? But, no, mm. I don't, I'm not a fan of the people are, oh, you look a good, like a good, a good wingtip on Oxford. <laughs> there's no such good, thing a, as a good wingtip. A good wingtip. Like, I'm like Al Capone's <laughs> melanated neighbor. Oh my God. Like, like, I'm, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to drive the uh, getaway car and <laughs> plead from Elliot Ness. <laughs> Your Muggsy Biggs. See, here we go. (laughs) 
<laughs> you were back on the table. That, that shit was <laughs> It was good. I didn't expect that one coming. I mean, it, but no, it's like shoe comfort is one of those things, but if we jump back into like just music right now, just music in general, who is the one musician throughout the course of your music fandom, regardless of decade, okay. that you feel never got their just respect as far as not impact, but disrespect of being having a long career and never really sucking? Hmm. That's a really good question. Do you have one? Like like some pioneers, like I'm thinking like Sister Rosetta Tharp, when she was being voted on for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, people didn't know who she was. I'm like, people should know off the top of their heads who that is. Joan Jett. Joan Jett. Yeah, absolutely. My kids probably don't know who she is. They know the songs, but they don't know her. Honestly, I, I, I want to say Joan Jett's in her 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joan Jett is... And looks phenomenal. Looks phenomenal. Like, she just stepped out of... Joan Jett is 62 years old from Wynwood, PA. Where? Wynwood? Yeah. That's cool. And how she got to California, that's a... Of everyone in the runaway, she probably was the most talented. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's a pretty good movie, too, The Runaway. That is a great movie. And Sherry Curry, Lita yeah. Ford, Joan Jett. I mean, not going to lie, I didn't think Lita Ford was great. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like one note. Like, her songs just one note, basically. And, But Joan Jett is 62 years old, and she's still out there. And mm-hmm. she does it because she loves it. She said, she said, I made more money than I'll ever, ever, ever need. Mm-hmm. I just like being on the road. Yep. And she brings an energy to it. And she, songs are still good. Her, uh, the Wilson sisters from Heart, like still out there and just. Yep. And mm-hmm. Anne is, what, 70? Anne is 70. Yeah. And I had a, a quick talk with a friend of mine today. And I said this, I just, and I realized I said it, and I mean it, like, Ann is the 70, still looks incredible, I'm like, and I said this to him, like, Ann Wilson can still get it at 70, I don't care. <laughs> and that, <laughs> I said it out loud. <laughs> but, the, but based on her singing ability, the fact that she can still carry a tune and carry notes and mm-hmm. get out there and night after night and just kill it. And the writing that those two do, those are amazing songs. Just, and, I mean, uh, just some of their stuff off of um, Steamboat Annie is just, it's mind-blowing how good it is today. And I will never forgive folks at MPV for mm-hmm. making Ann Wilson hide behind things because of her weight. Mm-hmm. But and she didn't have we, a beautiful face. Exactly. I mean, and... Her and sister haven't aged. Like, they have not aged. I'm like, damn, I hope, hope when I find 70 that, you know, I look like how I did when I was in my 30s. Jesus. I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, I used I mean, to watch their videos and try and figure out how Anne's makeup was because I wanted to do it because you got that close-up of her face. And it's like, it didn't look dated. It didn't look like other makeups of the time that you'd see. And to this day, those videos still look good because they have that timelessness to them. Mm-hmm. And I was always kind of like the hair, like 80s hair. I don't care what I said. <laughs> Some, like the best hair decade. I'm sorry. It is for hair. Like mm-hmm. it just like that wild aquanet. I mean, just or whatever, like finding that whatever you put in your hair that is net related and hairspray related. And like the teasing it, listen, it just it worked. And unfortunately, living in Wisconsin, there are folks who still bring that hairstyle. I saw somebody at the softball tournament. <laughs> she had the Yami Yager that we mentioned the other, the other day. Yeah. She had a tight, like, like her forehead and the hair right on top of her head was tight, and she had like the Yager, like the the flowing Yager. <laughs> 
and it was like sun bleach. So I'm thinking it was just the way her being outside. But yeah, she had the yogurt, and it was like huh? you still had some sun in left from the 80s. Seriously, sun like in your hair and go outside. I was mystified by that. I, I went home one day. This girl at my school, I'm mean, she named because she was doing a show. She knows who she is. Um, she had sun in her hair actually because she she was she had darker hair. Went home and actually I was like, you know she's been practically lemon juice, right? What? He's like, yeah, it's practically lemon juice, lemon, and he explained science. Gene was down with science apparently. And Gene was like, look, you know, he's like, it's science, and her hair is like, look, and he he gave me the warning. He's like, look, you're gonna mess around, you're gonna marry a blonde, and she's gonna be a big pain in the ass. I'm not saying a word. Uh, yeah, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but signing was one of those things that it was it was just interesting to me and just because I'm a black kid, I have dark curly hair. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. think I didn't put too much past it. But how can people interact with you on social media? The best way to find me on social media is at Twitter, and my handle is Edenza E D E N Z A. And the best people out there, my co-host, Stephanie Lynn. Thank you so much for joining us on the Black Today podcast. We always have a good time, don't we? We do. This has been a hilarious episode of the Black Today podcast. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. I just, you know, I was surprised that Rush didn't play Live Aid because they were way overrated. And at least Live Aid showed they had taste. <laughs>